Well, I greet you in the name of Jesus. It is a blessing to be gathered together with God's people. This morning, the first thing I'd like to do is put a picture on the wall. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. And I was curious, how long do you think it's, it takes to say a thousand words? I know it varies for some of us, but the approximate time for a thousand words is 10 minutes. So I looked at my message notes this morning and I have 1,158 words. So I guess I should be done in about 10 minutes. (laughs) Curious, who is it? Say it. Okay, very good. Thank you. Quoting 1 Corinthians 11. Curious, anybody have an idea who, what Bible character someone tried to sketch? Photography wasn't an option back in the day, but someone tried to take a Bible story and sketch it. Good guess. Very good guess. Actually, I have one other one. That one I almost like a little bit better. Actually, I didn't. It's, it'd be a little. I'd be surprised if somebody would get it. Hezekiah. Thank you, Hezekiah. That's him. Did you have an inside scoop to this? Maybe. <laughs> Unfair. No. Hezekiah. What I'm going to do is I debated doing using a PowerPoint. And I decided not to. I've never done this before, ever, that I know of. But I plan to just keep the picture up there the whole time. So if you forget everything I say, remember the picture. Because somebody said, every time you speak, you must have a point. And you, to make your point, you should have a picture. And I guess my point is the picture. And if you get a hold of the picture, you got the point. So we're going to go into Hezekiah. I'd like you to turn with me to first, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles 29. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 29. I was actually going to put all the scriptures up on the wall, but I thought, no, it's something happens, I believe. Maybe I'm too old school, but I think something happens when you uh, lay your eyes physically on, the pa- on a page, and maybe it's because I kind of personalized my Bible, and I like to know where certain places are in my Bible. I'm going to refer to a lot of scripture. I'm not going to read a lot of scripture, but I'm going to simply tell the story that leads up to the picture. And maybe you know the story, but Old, uh, Old Testament history is a very interesting study. And I'll be honest with you, I, I know so little of the Old Testament, especially how it all fits together. Did you ever get lost in, you know, you're reading through the Chronicles and the, like, First and Second Samuel, and then Kings, and then Chronicles, and a lot of them parallel each other. And then you come to the prophets, and then to figure out how the prophets and history go together is just a lifelong study, I believe. But the more we understand uh, Old Testament history and put the prophets into their uh, correct pers- uh, chronologically, 
I think it's going to become more and more alive. So 2 Chronicles chapter 29 is uh, the beginning of the interesting story of King Hezekiah. So Hezekiah comes on the scene. Uh, if you would back up to 2 Chronicles, the very beginning of the chapter, you're going to find Israel in its highest peak and in its glory. So King Solomon at best, if you will. And then unfortunately, you can have any movement, any country, any organization at its peak. And if bad choices will bring any person or any movement down. So it was with God's people. Bad choices over and over brought them down. And the United Kingdom became a divided kingdom. Hmm. United. Divided. So, we have Hezekiah coming on the scene in a divided kingdom, and prior to him there was ups and downs. And there's always hope. Actually, when I read, even the judges, you know, you got up, down, up, down. Sometimes in the down, and some of us were disturbed this week, right, with the down of uh, just everything that's going on. But sometimes in the down, you have to realize there can be an up, and there's, there's, there's hope. So you can follow it through history. You have a down. Somebody comes on the scene and makes right choices and leads any organization back up again. And that, to me, is an, an encouraging theme that you'll find through Scripture. So with that little bit of a context, join me at Second Chronicles 29, verse 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. Curious, stop. Anybody 25, raise your hand. <laughs> we got some. All right. 25 years old. Remember this. 25 years old, Hezekiah. What a responsibility. And he reigned nine and 20 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah. Hmm, interesting. A mother's name mentioned. Father's name was mentioned in the prior chapter. You got to back up about the verse 24 in the prior chapter to find his father, Ahaz, and he's the man that gathered all kinds of uh, things, of uh, holy things out of God's temple and destroyed them. And he clo closed the doors of the temple. And then he, furthermore, he made a lot of, he made several uh, high places and play other alternate worship. That's what he introduced. That's, that was dad. This is Hezekiah, and his mother's name is interested. Verse 2, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, whoa, first things first, he what? Say it with me, you're there? Say it out loud. Oh, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord. He said, this is not right. Doors closed at the temple, not happening in my reign. Open the doors. But unfortunately, inside was a mess. So he got the priest together in verse 4, gathered him in the East Street, and he said in verse 5, now let's get together, sanctify yourself, and then let's drop all the way down to verse 11. We're going to skim through this, this text. Uh, verse 11, he took everybody and he sat, he sat them down. He said, my sons, be not negligent 
For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister unto him and burn incense. Wow. I I want every person here this morning to personalize it and internalize that verse right there. Can you do that? Can you do that? You may not have been called to priesthood, but you are called to, as a son of the Lord, son and daughter of the Lord, chosen... To stand before him, to serve him, don't be negligent. Can I personalize it? Can you personalize it? Let's do it. Chosen for the Lord's work. So, verse 12, the priests arose and named their, their name there. And down in verse 16, they cleaned house. It says they brought out all the uncleanness. Brother, did you ever go into an abandoned building? And you clean and you clean and you clean and you take out the debris. That's what they did. That's what that word uncleanness literally means. They carried out all the debris. God's house. Dad closed the doors. Wow, they cleaned house. And the rest of the chapter is real enthusiastic worship. I I would have enjoyed being there. Well... Maybe not, because I don't necessarily like butchering, but uh, drop down to the last verse. Look at verse 32. I'm sorry, the last verse on my page of the Bible. Verse 32. The number of the burned offerings which a congregation bought, three score and 10,000 bullocks, 100 rams, 200 lambs. Wow. I mean, I don't know if you get the picture or not. We really can't relate because we don't have Old Testament worship Uh, mentality but that's noted there that uh, this was an incredible worship experience Hezekiah liked it I think something good was going on and in verse 30 he says he sends a letter to all of Israel and Judah now this is divided kingdom days okay divided kingdom so this is happening down in Judah where uh, where the temple was and he even sends a letter to the those on the other side. And he said, come, come to the house of the Lord and let's do Passover. Now, I was sad. You can read it in verse 5. I underlined it in my Bible. In verse sad, at the, in, verse, in verse 5, the end of verse 5, it's a very sad verse. It says, for they had not done it for a long time in such sort as it was written. Uh, now I don't. I guess the, big, the the thing that I could uh, relate it to is: could you could you imagine skipping communion for year after year after year after year? Don't tell me that would that would not have an uh, uh, adverse effect on your spiritual life. Jesus said, "This do in remembrance of me." And I and and the Passover in the Old Testament was just the time they could look back and think, deliverance, deliverance. Something happens when you do that. When you take the communion cup and you, you think about what Jesus did for deliverance, for my deliverance from sin, something happens. Guaranteed. They didn't do it for a long time. So Hezekiah said, everybody, yo, here, far, come, come. And it says they actually sent runners. Now, I guess they didn't uh, send out an email or a text in those days. So they got runners. That would have been an interesting job, right? Uh, Hey, you go run to Dan. You go run down to Beersheba. You go run over. 
and they would run. And they ran all the letters. And, see, this is urgent. Passover wasn't done. Long time. Bring it in. So, go down to verse 10. As the runners of the posts, that means the runners, they passed city to city. Manasseh, Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. So, don't be negligent, brother. Don't be negligent, sister. You're going to have a difficult uh, task to go run, and you will be mocked sometimes. But look at verse 12. God gave them one heart to do it. Verse 13, much people assembled. So, yeah, there was opposition, there was ridicule, but now, now let's uh, do a scene shift back to the temple. Uh, so many people were there, and they were celebrating Passover. And they were remembering what God did. They looked back, and it was uh, some really good things were happening. Now, look, now let's, we're, we're speeding through this. Now go to verse 30, uh, chapter 31. So the, the rest of verse 30 is all about Passover. Now we come to verse uh, chapter 31. And so end of Passover, everybody goes home per se. But let me draw a point here. I personally believe that it is impossible to worship and have a real serious, sincere worship experience and not have a radical, offensive mentality to every idol in your life. Think, think through with me. Did you ever really clean your own house? House cleaning comes, I believe, when you engage in worship. And when you really get a hold of I don't want to say Passover, but remembering deliverance. Remembering. You get a hold of it, and it's, you get serious about cleaning house. And I hope we can all make our personal, practical applications to this Old Testament beautiful story. But the, chapter 31, watch them go. They go and they break down the image, images to pieces. They cut down the groves. They threw down the high places of the altars of all Judah and Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they utterly destroyed them all. Wow, I would love to make a 10-minute point on what that could look like today in your life and my life. But let's suffice and allow the Holy Spirit to, to say, when you worship, when I worship, and I get a hold of what Jesus Christ did for me. We're going to clean house. We'll do a radical house cleaning. And don't expect that kind of a stir to be unnoticed. It, chapter 31 is wonderful. Come to chapter 32. And it says, after these things, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah, and encamped against the fenced cities, and thought to win them for himself. And Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, and he purposed, that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem. So he took counsel, and, and basically says, what are we going to do? They're so strong. And, and trust me, you can have just a little grain of, of, of world history, and you will know that a, you didn't mess with Assyrians. 
Assyrians had a renowned kingdom, and, and nobody won. Nobody. And they come up against Hezekiah, and Hezekiah says, what are we going to do? Now, I think what I'm going to do is turn over to Isaiah, if you will, and we're going to, we're going to look at the prophet's perspective, because here's where we get the glimpse that I want this morning. The glimpse that I really want is, is found in Isaiah. So Isaiah 36 kind of tells the, uh, kind of tells the, the story. I'm not going to read it again, but uh, chapter 36 kind of goes over Assyria coming up against them. It talks, it, it, it names Hezekiah's three top individuals, uh, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah. There you'll find them in verses, what is it, three and f- two and three. And they go and meet with the Assyrian uh, general named Rabshakeh. And they had a little, they had a little message. And I'm going to summarize this chapter for me, for, for us all. If I would summarize the chapter, I would say, it, here's kind of the Syrian message that was supposed to go to Hezekiah. Number one, here is what Judah cannot do. Number one, don't even think about trusting Egypt. That could have been an ally, but it's in there. The, the message to Hezekiah or back to Israel was, don't even consider going to Israel, uh, Egypt for help. And secondly, now this is the insult, don't even think about going to God for help. And you want to you actually read that? Verse 7. Don't even say, we trust in the Lord our God. Isn't it he that whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah taken away? Uh, do, you get what, do you get what he just said there? That's the Assyrian king saying, don't trust Egypt. Secondly, don't trust God. And then he said, by the way, you saw, your, you saw Hezekiah tear down all the high places. Huh. Oh, time out. That's another God. But you see the intimidation going on? Sometime in the crux of the matter, it's hard to discern the real God and the false God, the, all, the true worship and alternate worship. But that's what they were doing. So, don't think about going to Egypt and don't think about trusting God was the message. And then, secondly, the rest of the chapter is, here's what you should do. In other words, don't do this, but do this. And here's what you do. Uh, actually, in a word, surrender. That's all they wanted. Just surrender. Uh, you can look it down at verse 16. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, make an agreement with me. In other words, and we'll give you your vineyard, we'll give you the fig tree, we'll give you, you know, all the promises. Life will be great. Just surrender. So, Hezekiah... Let's go to verse 37, chapter 37. Good thing to do. He got in, he, he tore his clothes. That was a symbol of, of uh, just utter desperation in the Old Testament. And put on sackcloth, and he went into the house of God. And it was there, he talked to a few people, and he said, you know what? I got a serious problem. Go to Isaiah. Go find the prophet and go, go tell him what to do. So now you gotta, you got to follow this through here. The story kind of, uh, it, it kind of, it kind of has several tentacles or scene shifts or whatever. So Hezekiah stays in the temple. Got it? 
His messengers go to Isaiah at Hezekiah's request. And, the, and, the, and the, the, the mission was, what do we do? So Hezekiah is at the temple. His messengers go to find Isaiah. And they tell Isaiah the problem. And Isaiah says, well, go back and tell him that the Assyrians are going to get a message shortly. And it's going to go something like this. Problems at home. Come back quickly. Go tell, Hezekiah, go tell Hezekiah that that's going to be the message that's going to come to the Assyrian army. And don't worry about it. It'll all be okay. So, incidentally, a message comes to the Assyrian army that's knocking on, the, that's, burst, that's pounding the doors down of, at, at Israel. And the message comes and says, hey, Problem at home. We got to return quickly. That's in verse 7 of uh, verse 37. He'll return to his own land. Anyway, Rabshakeh returned, found the king of Israel warring. But here's what he did first. He sent a letter to Hezekiah again. And basically the, the, the letter says, uh, I, I will destroy you. So now he had a, a written letter in his hand that was from Assyria and says, I will destroy you. His friends didn't get back yet from their mission to Isaiah. And here is the point of the whole message. If you forget everything I said, if you forget the story, if you forget the details, get this. He had a written letter that basically, in my words, says, I will destroy you from the Assyrian king. And he goes up to the temple, and in desperation, he lays it before the Lord. Join me in verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed. And he said, Lord, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwells between the cherubims, thou art God, even thou alone, and all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which thou hast sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste of nations and their countries. They have cast their gods into the fire, but they were no gods. They were the work of man's hands, wood, stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the nations of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Wow. Did you get it? He's telling God, here it is. Open your eyes, God. Can you see it? As if God didn't see it. Open your ears, God. Can you hear it? God heard it. I, I'm not trying to uh, go overboard on symbolism, but sometimes I need symbolism, and I think God knows we do as a people. That's why we drink the, the cup and we take the bread. That's symbolism. 
And I, I, there's something about symbolism, I think, that here it is, God. L lay it before God. And in desperation, cry out. He spreads the letter and he prays. Now look at verse 21. And here we got the title. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, said to Hezekiah, Thou, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. Paraphrased, if you have another version, here's what it's going to say. It's going to say, because you prayed. Because you prayed. That was the message that Isaiah sent to Hezekiah, because you prayed. To me, and we could follow through in the story, because you prayed, I'm going to take Sennacherib back to the, on the same road he came. And he's like he's going to have a hook in his nose and a bit in his mouth. And he's going to go right back. And it, that's what happened. And he actually, he died, he perished. It's an amazing story, my brother, my sister. Because you prayed. That's the title. That's the text. That's, that's what I want you to remember this morning. Because you prayed. James tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That was not a man who lived and tried to live with one foot in and one foot out. He was all in. And he prayed a comment on the sovereignty of God and a confession. Sometimes, and I totally believe in the sovereignty of God, 100%. He's in full control of everything. My little mind cannot really fathom how the sovereignty of God and the choice of man integrate, and they do. They do. Sometimes I think I put a little too much confidence in the sovereignty of God. Did you ever justify a prayerless life and say, well, what's going to happen is going to happen? It's just going to, God's on the throne, and he is. When I read this, and I come to that little phrase, because you prayed. That has such a call to the closet like none other voice. That has a call to desperation. That has a call to, yes, literally. Honestly, of course, because I was studying this, I did receive a, a, a just a... a a piece of news that almost made me vomit. And the piece of news, you may have heard it, and now that in Congress you're not supposed to say man or you're not supposed to give any gender-specific terms. Really? In the United States Congress, everything's gender-neutral, supposed to be gender-neutral now? You know what? You know what I did? And I, I, I'd like to suggest we do more of it. No, it's kind of like I'm showing God my phone. 
so, something happens when you say, God, do you, do you see that? Do you see it? You don't have an Assyrian army banging down your door, neither do I. Some of you have a medical situation. Maybe it's even in script. Something happens if you take it and you spread it out and you say, Lord, there it is. Some of you may have a financial burden that you don't know how it's going to come out. Take your checkbook or however you do it. Checkbooks are even coming uh, extinct. Yeah. Lay it out before the Lord. Did you ever get a text that, or a letter in the mail? Or I guess a lot of people battle out on social media these days. That just is evidence of an incredibly strained relationship and you don't know what to do with it. I'm telling you, spread it out before the Lord. Maybe you have a schedule, you don't know what you're gonna, how you're going to get it done this week. Spread it out before the Lord. Yeah, Benji, maybe, you have a, maybe we have fears. <laughs> spread it out before the Lord. Maybe there's a dark chapter in your life. It's hidden. Spread it out before the Lord. I hope the image will help. The title? Because you prayed. Sometimes I wonder what eternity is really going to reveal, and I wonder how many because we prayed. I would love to go through the story of Hannah. She had a child because she prayed. Ananias had to go and find Paul. God said, He's, behold, he prayeth. So go baptize him because he prayed. I wonder if Peter remembered the words of Jesus often in life. Satan wants to sift you, but I prayed for you oh, because he prayed. When I came to the cross, I probably told you this story before, but one of the first things I did is I went to my dad and I told my dad some things that I never told him before. And I, it was such, such a, uh, it was such a, a blessing. And I'll never forget what he said first, the first words of his, out of his mouth. I prayed for you every day. I wonder how many children could be told by God because mom prayed or because dad prayed. Because you prayed. So take heart. Wherever you are in life, don't forget the tool that we have in our hand. I don't really care if you use symbolism or not. 
but I think it would be a pretty neat, seat, neat scene from heaven's perspective to see 150 people in their closet with the actual piece of paper written down, something that they don't know what to do with. And maybe, just maybe, because you prayed. Lastly, if I may, I debated going here or not. It was 13 years ago that I was called to pastor here at Myerstown. I don't really expect anybody to remember the first message I preached because I can hardly remember the last message I just preached. But the very first message was the exact same title and the exact same text. Because you prayed. And God just laid that on my heart to share a very similar version of it again. And I know this is kind of hard for all of us, right? We don't like to think that in three weeks there's about a dozen families or so that may not be here. And, but really, would we want to pull everybody back from Shenandoah? Are we so thankful that God's doing a work there? Do we believe that God has led us to shine our light there up in Waterworks? And maybe, maybe all of us should this week hold up a globe. Seriously, a globe. Say, God, where, where do you want me to serve? And maybe somebody on the other side of the world will be blessed because you prayed. On behalf of my family, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been one of the joys of our life to journey together for this seems like a short period of time. Yes, the greatest joy is to see spiritual growth, to see commitment to Christ in the church. Thank you. God bless you. In a sense, it's much different than when we left Grenada. It was 18 years ago that we left Grenada. That was a little different. After serving as a pastor in Grenada for seven years, I remember the Sunday morning before we got on the plane. And it's just, it, sometimes God's ways are just kind of hard. But we just walk in faith and we, ser we, ser we serve him. It's going to be so different because we will continue to, to relate closely uh, as two churches. We're looking forward to winter Bible schools and evening services at least together for a while. And I look forward to the next time I have the opportunity to preach is sometime in the middle of May. So it's very different. And I'm going to say, I'm going to, very, I'm going to close, that is preach here. I'm going to close with something that I heard as a boy growing up. You know how boyhood memories stick? I don't know exactly who. Maybe it was my dad. My dad was a preacher. But I used to hear a preacher say this over and over and over again. And actually, I kind of liked it. It stuck with me. It would go, it went something like this. And if you grew up in the setting that I grew up, maybe it'll resonate with you. But sometimes you heard a minister say, well, if I said or did anything that did not help you spiritually counted to my weakness or approached me in love. And in other words, just let, let's talk or just realize that I am very, very weak. 
And then he would say, and if there's anything that ever was said, that I said, that helped you spiritually, praise God where all praise belongs. And that's what I would like to say. God is worthy of all praise, and it has been a joy. But you know, honestly, God, I believe, has blessed Myerstown and Shenandoah, and, but I wonder if it comes back to because you prayed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for the story of Hezekiah and the powerful picture of prayer and the effects of a prayer from a righteous man. And Father, as you look down into all of our journeys, I ask you, please, in the name of Jesus, to inspire us to follow Hezekiah's footsteps to our knees and lay it out before you because you want to hear us put it into words. Thank you for the avenue of prayer. We bless you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we have a song, please?